This story is called It's a Chicken. It took place in the mid-80s when Jonathan left his wife, Oranda, and I were all living in Southern California, and we decided to take a trip to Mexico. Uh, The original plan was to spend three days or four days in Mexico City, and then Rhonda would fly back to Southern California, and Jonathan and I would take a flight to the Yucatan. Uh, Actually, we flew to, well, before I get into that, let me tell you a little bit about the trip as far as uh, Mexico City was concerned. Um, We did uh, see some museums, and I guess the funniest parts about the 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 trip into Mexico City uh, was the subway rides. We would go into the subway, we would go to the, the ticket window, we would buy a ticket, uh, but not knowing exactly how to speak the language or how much tickets cost, we would just give them one of the bills that we had, which was Mexican money, and you know, not knowing that we probably were giving him $100 bills for a $4 fare, we would end up getting so much changed put through the window uh, at us, you know, our pockets were bulging with these coins within two or three subway rides, uh, and we didn't know what to do with all this change. We, did, You know, the money exchange rate was so outrageous that, you know, it would cost us, you know, $5, and for them, the subway ride was only about 50 cents, so, you know, they'd be giving us so much change, it was really crazy. Uh, the subways in Mexico City, however, are very crowded. So crowded so that they have trains for, for men and they have trains for just women. Of course, Rhonda didn't want to get separated from us, and so she insisted on going with us into the men's train, which was just crushingly crowded. You know, nothing in, in New York compares to how crowded these trains were in Mexico City. And I can understand why they would have trains for men and trains for women, because the men's train was just outrageously crowded. Uh, anyways, we had a, a good time in Mexico City. We ate good food, um, and it was all fine. Rhonda flew back to the United States, and Jonathan and I took a flight to the capital of the Yucatan, Merida, where we the plan was to rent a car and to drive over to Cancun, uh, seeing the archaeological sites along the way. Uh, So we rented this car, uh, and Jonathan was the navigator, I was the driver, and the idea was that we were going to drive to the hotel, get a good night's sleep, and then start seeing archaeological places as we drove across the Yucatan, you know, first thing in the morning. Of course, once I got in behind the wheel uh, and pulled out into the street, it wasn't very long before I realized this car didn't have any brakes. Um, it wasn't sure at first. I mean, the first time it was it was kind of awkward. I, I didn't think I had any brakes, but I managed to stop the car. Uh, and then the second time I tried it, we were actually approaching some vehicles at a red light, and this car really had absolutely no brakes. So luckily I could, there was no oncoming traffic, I could swerve the car across the lane, uh, bring it up onto the sidewalk, careen it along a brick wall, and eventually stopped the car by crashing it into a telephone pole. To which Jonathan was totally like beside himself, like, what are you doing? Why'd you, what's going on? I go, Jonathan, the car has no brakes. He goes, what do you mean it doesn't have any, of course it has brakes. This car has to have brakes. It's a rental car. It's got to have brakes. I said, Jonathan, this car has no brakes. I had to stop the car. He says, well, what are we going to do now? I said, Jonathan, let's get out and see what we have to do. So we took the contract with us out of the glove compartment box and 
and we got out of the car, and sure enough, we're downtown Merida. It's probably 11 o'clock at night, and we've just crashed our rental car into a telephone pole. Anyways, we're right next door to a restaurant. We went inside. We tried to explain to the people inside that we just crashed our rental car. But, of course, we don't speak Spanish, so it's sort of like caro, crasho, un telephone pole. And they didn't understand where we were staying. So we took them outside. We showed them the car, to which they got the, the idea pretty quickly. They said, well, you know, they motioned us, let's get the car off the sidewalk and into the street uh, because we don't want the police to come. They go, no, 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 we don't want to call the police. That's the last thing you want to do in Mexico is to call the police. So we didn't feel comfortable moving the car, so we went back in, we used their phone, we called the rent-a-car people, and, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, they were there with, uh, you know, two cars, or one car and two drivers. One driver drove our car that didn't have any brakes, and the other, we got in, Jonathan and I got in the other car, and we're on our way back to what we think is going to be, you know, the the rental car office where we got the car. But instead, they take us down these dark, dark alleys, dark, narrow alleys, uh, and we're kind of get a little nervous about where they're taking us. Of course, Jonathan is thinking the worst, thinking we just crashed our rental car, we did not notify the police, nobody knows what happened to us, and we're traveling through these, you know, no-lit alleyways, uh, and we're thinking, like, wait a minute, like, what's going to happen now? So it turned out we pulled into this warehouse, and as we go into the warehouse and we start going up this ramp, Jonathan turns to me and he says, David, if we get separated, call Rhonda. Try to get a, try to get a call back to Rhonda. Let her know what happened. Let her know that we got separated. Because and he's thinking, you know, like he's read these novels about people who go into Mexico, they crash their rental cars, and nobody ever hears from them again. Anyway, so I'm taking him quite seriously because again, we don't know what's happening. We don't know where we're going, or anybody. No one knows what happens to us. Nobody knows where we are, and you know, it's Mexico. We don't know what to think, even imagine. Anyways, we get into the second floor of this warehouse, and sure enough, there's a bunch of cars there, and they all have the, you know, the symbol of the rent-a-car company. So I figure, you know, everything is fine. Sure enough, they take, you know, the manager or something comes out and says, "Look, we're very sorry. Let's give you another car." And Janet says, "No, I just want out. I want out of this. I don't want your cars. Your cars are terrible." I go, "Jonathan, it's 11 o'clock at night. Let's take a car, and I, the chances of it not having any brakes is, you know." probably zero that we just got a bad car and everything will be fine let's just get another car and we'll get going so he eventually calmed down and he agreed so we got another car we drove out everything seemed good uh we drove to the hotel and we got a good night's sleep in the morning we got on the road and of course this is just the first day of the new adventure what happens is on the on the I'm supposed to be the driver because I can't read maps very well. But Jonathan, at this point, insists on he being the driver and I'm the navigator. Of course, I'm, I make a mistake and we end up going about an hour and a half in the wrong direction at 60 miles an hour. Uh, to which Jonathan eventually realizes that we've got to be going the wrong way because we should have seen some of the archaeological places that we had planned to visit. Anyway, so we finally pull off the road, and he realized we're going the wrong direction, and now he's really mad because, you know, A, I crashed the rent-a-car, B, I got us going the wrong direction, 
for an hour and a half at 60 miles an hour. And, you know, he's not seen any, uh, any archaeological stuff. Anyway, so we turn the car around. He's driving. Everything seems to be okay. He's driving like a banshee trying to make up for time, which is fine. We pulled into some archaeological places, and we saw some, you know, this, that, and the other stuff. It's very nice. We ended up meeting some people. We met uh, two gay guys from New York. Uh, who were traveling around, and, you know, it was very nice. Eventually, we came to a place called, a big place, very famous place, called Chichen Itza. Uh, thus, we have the name of this story, which is called It's a Chicken. I wasn't, again, sure exactly how to pronounce Chichen Itza, so I just called it It's a Chicken, and apparently that name stuck for, you know, until today. Um, anyways, we got to It's a Chicken, and the ladies there are selling these hammocks and dresses and tchotchkes, whatever it is. And so they want us to uh, try out the big hammock. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not too interested in it. And Jonathan is still furious at me because, you know, I've, I've just nothing, done nothing but wasted his time. So these ladies were very insistent that we get on the hammock and that we, you know, whatever they were thinking we were, I guess based on that other gay couple, maybe they thought we were gay and maybe they just wanted us to fool around on the hammock like the other guys were doing probably, heaven only knows. Anyways, it turns out that once we got on the hammock and the ladies were giggling and giggling, we couldn't help but laugh either. And so eventually that kind of got us to laugh about our situation and things got smoothed out quite a bit. Um, it, it turned out that everything, you know, we finally we finally got back to being friends, and it was it was a good time. We went to uh, Cancun, and in Cancun we went to the beaches. It was very nice. Uh, we got on one of the city buses to try to go back to, you know, central um, Cancun um, to to try to get you know get back to our hotel. Uh, and it turns out that we are on the wrong side of the street. And so, you know, buses are, are not coming out very often. We finally get on a bus, and the guy tells us, no, you want to go to, you know, El Centro, you're on the wrong side of the street. So we get off the bus, and we go to the other side of the street, and now we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, a bus comes, and we get on it, very crowded bus. We're standing up. And a tourist guy who's sitting down next to me looks at my T-shirt and he says, what's your uh, T-shirt about? So anyways, I figured I'd tell him my T-shirt's about the tree people, Southern California. So he says, he's from Southern California. So I said, where are you from? So he tells me he's from Marietta Hot Springs. So I know Marietta Hot Springs, so I asked him, I said, which unit in Marietta are you from? So he looks at me puzzled. He goes, how do you know about units? I said, because my parents live in Marietta Hot Springs. He goes, who are your parents? I said, my parents are Fred and Bertha Weinstein. He goes, Fred Weinstein? He, he's your father? I go, yeah, Fred Weinstein's my father. He said, Fred Weinstein's my golf partner. So it was, you know, obviously one of those places where, you know, you travel to the other side of the world and get on a city bus and then of course you meet somebody who's your dad's golf partner that probably happens every day right so it was very funny that that we had met like that and it was it was nice so it turned out that 
I, you know, I remember that very clearly. Um, the only thing that happened other than that was these bus rides. You know, we'd get on the bus. We had figured out exactly, you know, how much these bus rides cost so we could give the guy a reasonable amount of money. But there were still people getting on these buses, tourists, and one particular couple that got on this bus, this newlywed couple, and the bus driver tells the the wife, you know, how much it is. Obviously, he's speaking in Spanish, and she doesn't understand him, so she gives him a coin, and he tells her again how much it's going to be, and she gives him another coin, and he tells her a third time, and she gives him another coin. And, you know, she's, like, probably giving him nickels, and she's got to come up with $2. So it's, it's like, not happening. And meanwhile, there's people trying to get on the bus, and people are getting frustrated. So her husband says to her, Honey, you can't understand that guy. Just give him the big one. And when Jonathan and I heard that, which just, you know, just cracked us up because that's exactly what, you know, we, we had done in Mexico City when we didn't know how to figure out how much things cost. And we would just give the guy behind the window, you know, like a $100 bill for a $3 fare. And the next thing you know, we've got, you know, pockets full of change. Anyway, so that became another, you know, humorous note that we laughed about for days and days. And we laugh about even today where we use the phrase, oh, honey, you can't understand that guy. Just give him the big one. Uh, the trip was actually very good. We did go to Isla Mareras to go snorkeling. And uh, that, if you ever do it, you know, there's there's only a couple of uh, boats back. Remember, this is early or mid the 80s. Uh, there are only a couple trips out there a day, and we end up getting on an early little schooner going there at 6 in the morning with about 500 dead chickens uh, that was going to, you know, be for the restaurants on the island. So overall, it was a very fun trip. Jonathan and I got back safely, and we have a lot of wonderful memories about our trip to It's a Chicken in Mexico. Anyways, that's the story, and Jonathan and I and Rhonda are all very good friends, so everything turned out good. So the moral of the story is you can't, there's no guarantee when you go traveling with friends that everything will work out, but where there's good, uh, there's good, uh, good people, there's always room for, uh, for good adventures. Take care. Have a good day. Bye.